You're listening to The Local Maximum, Episode 7. Well, the worst thing you can do is just get discouraged right off the bat and say, maybe someone else should do this, or I'll just wait for Facebook to make it. And the hardest part is usually just getting started. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Gotta love that intro music. People who know me are saying, really, Max? But the people who don't are saying, wow, this guy sounds legit, I'm sure. Anyway, welcome to The Local Maximum. I really love the response I got to last week's show when I went solo and talked about Facebook's data being used in elections and connected it to an article about cryptocurrency. Very relevant. Big increase of downloads. So do me a favor. If you liked it, make sure that you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like, leave a positive review. I'm still getting this off the ground. So one person's action does go a long way, as it has for some of my friends who have already done it. And if you've already done it, uh, thank you so much. Now, today we're going back to the guest format. And this one is really worth listening to the whole thing, not just part of it, and frankly, listening to multiple times. I think that Dennis Crowley's ideas and his message and also the way that he put it all into action is something that needs to be heard way more often. It needs to be heard uh, by entrepreneurs, by product developers, by anyone in technology, engineers, of course. Uh, This is not just theorizing about entrepreneurship or technological innovation or product development. I think that one of the things that separates out Dennis from everybody is having put these ideas into action. You know, coming up with a quirky, maybe a little crazy idea and putting that out into the marketplace. You know, if you think about it, it sounds like it's something that maybe someone should do. But Dennis has done it multiple times. And even after all these years, he's still doing it. So we'll cover that. We'll cover how Dennis's interests have evolved over time, how he got into building Dodgeball and Foursquare in the first place. Dennis is the founder of both. And we'll talk about different approaches to analyzing technology trends. Of course, a little bit of augmented reality, virtual reality, and the crossover from reading fiction. And then, of course, we're going to get into bots, our work together on MarsBot at Foursquare, and how we're going to continue working on these types of of projects. So, okay, if you're a little bit lost right now, Dennis Crowley is the founder and current executive chairman of Foursquare. That's where I work. I may have mentioned that once on the show, maybe once or twice, possibly. Anyway, his first startup, Dodgeball, was a location-based network during the days of T9 texting, and it was acquired by Google in 2005. Foursquare was founded in 2009, and I know that's almost 10 years ago, but Dennis has been pushing technological innovation at the company on a consistent basis since then. Uh, Yeah, a lot of people know that it started with badges and mayorships and checking in, which is kind of the social aspect of letting your friends know where you are. but there's a lot more to it than that that we've built over the years. Let's not forget about you know the API, which um, made our a large part of our uh, data and recommendation system public. Uh, also Pilgrim, Foursquare's core location technology that learns your phone's real location, the real venue that you're in. Uh, there was a lot of foresight in deciding to build that. And more recently, uh, Dennis pushed on on MarsBot, Foursquare's bot that's different from all other bots, and we'll talk about how, and now Foursquare Labs. 
And on top of that, he runs a soccer team, Kingston Stockade, and is continuing to innovate even over there where it's really different. So, okay, let's just get right into it. Recording from the final weeks in our Foursquare Soho office, Dennis, welcome to the Local Maximum. Hey, thanks uh, Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for coming out. You are our biggest uh, name on the program so far. Um, no offense, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, So you got Stephanie here taking pictures. Um, but uh, no, thanks so much for coming on. It really means a lot. And uh, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think you've been doing a great thing with the podcast, and I'm honored to be one of the guests. Yeah, I heard you on the podcast with Vanity Fair uh, a few weeks ago. That was really an excellent podcast. I got a lot out of that. And so I'm going to hope to today ask some follow-up questions and not repeat uh, what you already said last week. I'm going to link to that in our show notes page. How's awesome. that sound? Sounds great. All right. And the last one was about like a lot of emotional roller coaster stuff. I said this time we're not going to do, well, who knows what we're going to get into, but we're, I'm not planning on getting into emotional roller coaster type, uh, <laughs> type situation. It's more, more tactical and more uh, invent the future stuff, right? Exactly. Okay, exactly. good. So let's talk about, if I think of all the, the four square missions and sayings uh, in the past, the one that comes to mind is uh, making cities easier to use and making real world, the real world easier to use. That was kind of an early uh, four square mission. But uh, given your other work, which is like, uh, you know, dodgeball and the current consumer work that you're doing a little and we'll get into that a little bit. Is that also kind of a, a personal mission or a personal interest that you've had for a long time? Yeah, it's not like a, oh, it's like a personal mission, right? But it's definitely, you know, the thing that kind of got me really excited about consumer tech in the in the first place. Like way back in the day, I used to work at this company called Vindigo, and they made Palm Pilots for City Guides. This is like my very first experience building products. And I, I remember very specifically, um, you know, you could be out at a bar or restaurant, and you could see like the blue light of someone's Palm Pilot as they were using the app, you know, to help Vindigo to um, help them figure out what restaurants they wanted to go to. And then just this idea of someone made a piece of software that's fi that's helping these people decide what they're going to do next. Like they're going to get up and walk out of this place and go somewhere. Where are they going to go? There's a piece of software that's helping them do that. And so that was always, you know, it kind of struck me of like, you know, you can make software that makes cities easier to use and easier to navigate. And ever since that first experience working at Vindigo, I've tried to build products that made people feel the same way or trying to change their relationship with the city or, or just make it easier to, to deal with living in an environment that's as dense and complicated as, you know, say New York is. So that's, so one interesting thing, did you know that my first job out of college was programming for the Palm Pilot? Oh, get out of here. Yeah, it huh? was a, an education company and we had to write C++ for the Palm Pilot. It didn't have a very well-defined file system. It was kind of a disaster. <laughs> yeah, but, uh... I was hired to write C++, and it took about a week for them to realize I didn't know how to write C++. <laughs> I kind of didn't either. I had to get a book. And, uh, <laughs> actually, there was like this one-on-one -on -one where someone had a difficult conversation with me, and they're like, you should get a book about C++ and put it on your desk so that... Uh, they uh, that, that the people know that you're trying. Like, that was literally a piece of feedback that I got. <laughs> okay, so do you have any interests or hobbies when you were younger that connected into this at all? Yeah, I, I think um, probably the earliest interest is just in publishing in general. Like in high school, I used to write video game magazines, and in elementary school, I tried to make like a school newspaper. And you know, when I went to college, I wanted to be um, 
I wanted to be a journalist. And, I, you know, I went to Syracuse's communication school and I wanted to do magazines work. And, um, you know, the Internet kind of changed the way I thought about a lot of that because I was doing a lot of self-publishing at the time, like just telling stories about, you know, me and my friends and what we were doing and, you know, where we were doing it. And, you know, just just like personal storytelling on the Web. It, this is like back in like 1998 or something. Right. Um, but, you know, around the time that we came up with Dodgeball, remember Dodgeball was in 2000, like it really started like 2000, 2001. You know, the, 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 the first big idea there was, hey, it's a city guide where anyone can write a review. So it was just a form of self-publishing. And then, you know, you write enough reviews about the places you've been to and you kind of have a list of the places that you go to. And then you have a list of the places you go to regularly. And then that just try to, you know, over time kind of turned into a lot of the, you know, city guide uh, elements that you see in, uh, in Foursquare these days. So it sounded like it started out as... Uh, sharing and producing content and having fun with your friends. And I can see a very clear line between that and then Dodgeball and Foursquare. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's when you're working on this stuff, it's very hard to see how they connect. But when you look back in hindsight, it all kind of makes perfect sense. Absolutely, absolutely. Some of these, some of these are really good questions that I have. I got questions from the audience, and oh, I included great. them here. Um, the ones that aren't going to get me fired, which was probably about half of them. <laughs> Ask those ones. Those are, those are the really great ones. Actually, I didn't get anything that was that bad. I got, I got a lot of them that were just, uh, you know, <laughs> not, not that great. Um, okay. So when you're trying to think about a new product or a new piece of technology that you want to put out, and I bet I have a, a, a sub-question to this is, do you deal with this now as much as you deal with then? I think the answer is yes, but let me see. How do you deal with like talking to people who just don't get it at first, you know, what you're trying to do. And are, do you deal with all, have you dealt with a lot of people who kind of, where you have a conversation, you kind of get discouraged about what you're doing and how do you kind of deal with that? Um, yeah, I mean, really all, all the time. You know, I, I think that the history of entrepreneurship or the history of startups um, is the history of people trying to explain their awesome idea to someone and being shot down a hundred times and just having the, you know, kind of the perseverance to just continue building it. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times, like, you know, pretty much everything I've worked on has been called a stupid idea by, you know, 10 different people. And it's kind of a dumb idea until you can take the idea and either build a prototype or put it on paper or find a way to explain it to them so that it makes sense. Um, and, you know, that's... If you go like the early days of Foursquare were, were like that, you know, we, we had this idea, hey, we want to make a city guide that changes based on all the places that you've been, which sounds like a no brainer right now. But back then, that was kind of a crazy idea, you know, like with, um, you know, early Foursquare game mechanics. When you check into places, you will get badges. It's a game about going to different places like that was a stupid idea for people as a toy. Um, and I think there's like a really interesting insight in this idea that, you know, some of the some of the best and most influential products or companies now started off as things that people thought were were toys, you know, um, Facebook. Oh, this is a toy for college kids. Snapchat. Oh, it's a toy for high school kids. Oh, yeah. You know, like all of that stuff. Oh, uh, you know, Instagram is just kids taking pictures of food. Who cares? Right. Twitter is just nerds talking about sandwiches. Like all that stuff just starts off as as a toy before it grows into something big and powerful.
my concern personally is I get this idea, I get really excited, and then I talk to someone who is, you know, trying to ask, well, I'm an average person, explain it to me. And I'm like, I really can't yet, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and and it, then, then you sort of come from a high to a low. Hey, not every idea that looks like a dumb toy idea is going to end up being this great idea. We just remember the ones that are great. Yeah. So how do you know, how can you tell the difference between, you know, <laughs> whether you really do have a good idea or not? Yeah, I mean, I always tell... Um, I always tell people and students and entrepreneurs, like I, I talk to a lot of people that are doing startups and I always tell them that, um, you know, you can't just let people tell you that the thing that you really want to make is a dumb idea. You, you really have to go out and build it and prove to yourself whether it's a good idea or not. And it could very well be that if you build this thing, you're like, actually, this, this is pretty stupid and no one ever wants to use this. But what if I just changed it this way? And then what if I changed it that way? Um, and that's, you know, that's generally just like the arc of doing product development and, and iterating on these things. Like it's very rare that the first thing you work on turns out to be this spectacularly awesome thing. You have to, you know, like we made 20 versions of the original Foursquare before we're like, hey, if we give people these little badges as digital candy, people will like it. You know, that you have to do a lot of experimentation to get there. Uh, and then you have to, you know, experiment with the way that you describe it and talk to people about it. It's like to kind of refine the pitch as well. Um, and yeah, all of it's just this process of iteration. Right. So it sounds like if you're really excited about the idea, build it and then adjust. It's not going to be the greatest idea on version one, but it seems if you keep iterating and getting feedback, then eventually you'll end up in some place that's pretty good. Yeah. The, the worst thing you can do is just get discouraged right off the bat and say, oh, I'm just not going to do this. Or maybe someone else should do this. Or I'll just wait for Facebook to make it. Right. Um, I think that's like that's the worst thing you can do, and, and the hardest part is usually just getting started, just making something that you can show to someone, um, and then you know making a version two and making a version three of it. But just getting started is is often very difficult. Yeah, this is great. I'm glad we got to dive into this. I this actually just came to mind, and I don't I didn't remember this when I was preparing, but I have a slide in one of my many decks, which is a quote of yours that is like around these lines from from a long time ago. And it's got your picture on it. Yeah, I don't think I ever got your permission, but I'll show it to That's you after it. the show. Absolutely. Stop using it, Matt. Stop using it. Uh, you, I, I, you might not like the picture, but it's not the one with the crown, don't okay, worry. Okay. <laughs> no podcast goes by without mentioning the crown. Yeah, sure. Um, so, okay. You... On the last one, you uh, lamented kind of a lull uh, in some of the excitement around consumer applications, you know, following what uh, one might call the iPhone or mobile revolution. I think there's some interesting stuff going on right now, just not in consumer applications. So can you maybe explain that a little more? And do you think that there's might be something coming up, you know, around the corner that's going to shake things up a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's always like a lot of excitement around a new technology and then people just iterate like crazy on top of it and then it plateaus until someone figures something else out and then there's this crazy development cycle and then it plateaus until someone figures it out and that just that just keeps repeating. I mean, like the phase at which I kind of jumped into things with like my life personally were on the web, like I, I went, my, my freshman year of college was like the year of the Mosaic and Netscape web browser. So the web was brand new. And, you know, there was like 10, t 10 years, right? Five years, six years of like solid innovation on top of the web. 
uh, before things kind of plateaued. And then the whole idea of the social graph was invented. And then there was this whole, you know, race of iteration. Then it was then it went over to mobile. Um, and there was a race of innovation. And then, um, you know, the, the iPhone really changed everything with the app store, with GPS and phones, with front and back facing cameras, Bluetooth, um, you know, everything you could do with devices. And we've been kind of riding that wave for like 10 years. And, um, you know, I think right now we're kind of in a little bit of a, of a lull. And I think there's a lot of people that have been poking around, you know, augmented reality and virtual reality. And, you know, you look at the hardware that people are using to have those experiences now. And they, they kind of look like the very first Motorola cell phones, like the ones that were the size of a briefcase that you had to carry around. And you'd look at it and be like, oh, no one's ever going to do that. But, you know... If you if you look at the way that that's you know inevitably going to change, the stuff will get smaller. The stuff will be wearable. The stuff will be you know like maybe it's a contact lens at some point. Who who knows what crazy stuff will come in the future? Um, but I think we're at one of those phases where people are starting to play with you know the the early days of AR and VR, even though a lot of the hardware isn't there yet, and they're building these ecosystems and products and technology and, and toolkits. So that like when when those products do exist, when when Apple decides like now is the right time to release a an augmented reality tool that people will actually use that you could go in an Apple store and buy, like there'll be a lot of people that are a lot of developers and companies that are ready for that. Yeah, I have one uh, way to maybe think about this period of time, maybe an analogy. Tell me if you think that this is a good analogy. But I kind of think back to maybe 12 years ago to 2006. There was a, a, a demo. I don't remember who did the demo. I want to remember the name Han. Maybe it was Jeff Han or something of multi-touch. Yeah. And it was like, wow, this is incredible. But man, that just seems way off in the future because he was doing it on a big ash machine. This is, he was at, at NYU, right? Maybe. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah I think so. Um, and at the time, you, it kind of felt like, well, I've got my desktop machine. Yeah, it's been getting better specs, but there's been no, you know, there's been, you know, I, I've had broadband for six years and there's been uh, very little change. So it seems in terms of my hardware, meanwhile, you know, the, the, the social networks are starting to build up a lot of the websites that we use today and that are bigger starting to build up, but it's kind of, it's hard, harder to notice at the time than as seems, you know, looking back 10 years. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's crazy how quickly a lot of, a lot of the stuff can, can change, but sometimes there's like a moment where something comes out of left field. Um, you know, like dodgeball was built on, on flip phones before there were apps, before there were color screens, before there were GPS. And, you know, people were experimenting with smartphones, but they like, they weren't smartphones that you wanted. And, you know, it's like the moment that Steve Jobs stood up on stage. The razor. Yeah. And well, the moment that Steve Jobs like showed like you can, here's a touchscreen that works and it works well enough that there's a keyboard on it. It was, you know, it was one of those things like that's, that's almost unbelievable because I've played with all that stuff. I played with all those phones and none of them work, but then they had made one that worked. And so like, what's going to be the version of that moment for, you know, augmented reality? Does someone, does some company come out with like, a version of Google Glass that like real people want to wear? Does someone come out with something that's smaller? Is there some other piece of hardware that people are working on that we can't even imagine yet? Like that, that'll be the, the thing. And it's always like some crazy entrepreneur or some crazy product person that, that you know, comes up with one of these things. Yeah. And it, it's never going to happen in exactly the same way. I mean, you know, you think about that one moment of Steve Jobs getting up on stage and presenting the iPhone. I think if there was no Apple, 
and it was like, say, Android leading the way, then it would have been a more evolutionary, you know, phase because they kind of came in, you know, it took them several years to get it right, I think. Yeah. Uh, it could be something like that if there's no, you know, if there's no one-stop, you know, you know, lightning product that just changes everything. Yeah. Uh, it could be over a course of a few years. Yeah. I mean, there's like, there's big transitions like that where it's like something brand new just magically appears. Yeah. I think we're due for one though. Yeah. Well, then there's like <laughs> self-driving cars, which right. is like kind of like being in a, That's a good in a pot of boiling water. Like at some point they're just going to start showing up and yeah. like, it's not like, Oh, someone invented one behind closed doors. Like a lot of this stuff is, is happening, you know, out, out in the open. Yeah, yeah, and that's not going to take anyone by surprise when it comes. I don't think. Um, yeah, I think like the, there'll be a moment where you know, like two percent of the cars that you see won't have people in it, but yeah. then that's like, what? That's crazy. Yeah, it will be right. But what's what's the time of transition between that and ten percent, or that and fifty percent? I think that's that'll be an int- that's going to be a super interesting thing to you know to live through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so. It's 10 years from now. That would be 2028. You're walking down the street here. Let's say it's Prince Street. Uh, is everyone still looking into these small rectangular screens? Yeah, I, I, I certainly hope not. You know, I hope that we, we figure out a better way to kind of interact with all of the data that we have and the, this concept of the virtual world and, and do it, you know, kind of overlap with the real world in a way that's less disruptive than having to look down at a piece of glass. Um, you know, I, I, I've watched all the Black Mirror episodes, as I'm sure you have and a lot of your listeners have. I, I, I'm, lo- I'm in the middle of it. I've oh, done really? a lot oh, of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that stuff, I think, is it pretty accurately forecasts what the future will look like. And, you know, maybe it doesn't get every piece of technology or UX right, but like, hey, can you put something in your eye that projects images in front of you? Like, yeah, I think you'll be able to do that. And I and I think that's, you know, you can probably do that today. The question is, will everyone be doing it in 10 years? You know, William Gibson has that great quote about like, the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed. You know, I'm sure there's some someone in some lab that can make the contact lens thing happen, like a, a heads up display in a contact lens. But it's, um, you know, it's not FDA approved, it requires too much power, it's too weird for yeah. anyone to actually have in the real world. Um, But that, you know, those problems fix themselves over time. And those are generally the problems that are in front of something like that having mass adoption. And I think you really, you know, you have to have a little bit of imagination to, to, um, you know, to to picture that world and how all that stuff gets solved. But I mean, I think that's the answer. I think like a lot of the stuff that we look down on our screens for right now will probably be right in front of us. You mentioned these things fix themselves over time. I feel like that's something that a lot of people just don't get. You know, they'll look at some new piece of technology and they'll, they'll point out, well, this doesn't work. You know, th- this is, you know, how would the average person use this? And then, you know, you try to explain, oh, but, you know, 10 years from now, it's going to be different. And I, I see people's eyes glaze over when I try to have that conversation sometimes. Have yeah. Experience the same thing? It, well, I think it's... um. You know, if you live through enough of the changes and, you know, you, you kind of wait around for enough of the changes, I think you just start to understand that, you know, hey, like the, the stuff that's impossible is impossible for the, you know, the following five technical reasons. And then every year something gets get, you know, something changes and, and some of that stuff becomes, you know, slight, slightly more realistic. And um, we started Dodgeball back in the day. Like the thing that we wanted was the Harry Potter's Marauder's Map. 
and that is like a magical item from a make-believe world. And it's like, well, what? how could we make that magical item today? How could you make something that worked like that? And we kind of faked it with text messaging, right? And it, which isn't dissimilar from like, you know, like a, a five-year-old kid, you know, building a house out of a cardboard box or like, you know, building a car out of blocks or something. You're kind of like making this low-rent version of the thing that you really want, um, you know, to, to pretend and see how, it, see how it works. And, you know, if you talked about making a Marauders map now, like you can make it with an iPhone app and you could make it with software and you could probably, you could make it with augmented reality if you wanted. You could, you could make that stuff. Um, it's, it's pretty cool that this comes from fiction and, uh, you know, a lot of good fiction writers. And in this case, it's not a science fiction writer. It's just a, it's a fantasy story, right? Uh, sort of predicts some of the next generation technology. That might be a good place to look if someone's uh, looking for ideas to kind of read books. Oh, well, really, a lot of that, a lot of science fiction stuff. Um, you know, I think I've been directly inspired by some of the some of the stuff that I've read in the past, whether it's the Neil Stevenson stuff or the Harry Potter stuff. Oh, yeah. Snow Crash. I read that back in high school. Did you read that one? Yeah, yeah. I think that was one of the first um, one of the first books about, you know, people living in the was it the metaverse, like in the virtual reality? world? Yeah, there was a giant virtual reality world. Um, and it's and people had numbers in their names, which seemed yeah. crazy, but now it's just everywhere. Yeah, like there's, <laughs> you know, like Ready Player One is, yeah. you know, foreshadows some of this, like, I remember Jaron Lanier used to write a lot about like virtual reality way back in the day. And I think, you know, it, do you remember that movie like, um, Lawnmower Man. Did you ever see that? I, I it's didn't probably see on Netflix Man. or something. But I have to check yeah, it out. it's like really bad virtual reality movies. But I think they foreshadowed and some of the stuff that you might see today, and probably inspired a lot of the people that are working on it. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's talk about the bot moment that I think the tech industry had in the last couple of years. Uh, what is the significance of uh, the bot moment? And we'll use that to segue into our work on Marsbot a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But before, before, just comment on the bot moment in generally. Uh, what do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's always lots of different like mini trends in in tech that people get really really hot on for a bit. And you know, around the time that Alexa was becoming mainstream, I think people were like, "Hey, we should have we should have bots for everything." You know, you'll have 15 different virtual friends and each one of them is good at answering a different set of questions. You know, and I think that, you know, originally starts with, with Clippy, the little paperclip guy from way back in the day, right? Um, and, you know, I think the bot stuff has settled down a little bit. Like, I don't know people that talk to Siri all day long, although I talk to Alexa all the time. Yeah, but I ask her so the same, you know, three or four things every day. Exactly. You know, I think the, the gold standard for bots, at least in my head, is that, um, you know, Scarlett Johansson character from the movie Her. But I think we're, we're a long way off from making that stuff happen. Like, there's just certain parts of speech processing that don't work and there's certain parts of you know ai and you know making augmented personalities that don't work yet i feel like there's a lot that could be done if if someone puts their mind to it but it could just be that amazon is focusing like you said on the handful of things that you might need to do yeah. um it just it seems like i use it a lot it's very useful to me which is alexa you know, you're saying yeah, yeah yeah but it doesn't it seems like there are certain things that it could do that would be much smarter uh starting with the two uh, Alexa's in my house uh, need to know about each other a little bit better. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, I, I think a, a big part of it is um, I think it's okay to use that stuff at home, but to use it in the like to use it in the office is weird. Oh yeah, you know, um, 
like I have the Apple AirPods, which I think are great. They're kind of too big and too weird for people to wear around all the time. And the battery life doesn't last a full day. But, you know, if those things get better battery, if they get smaller, if you don't even notice that people have them, then then maybe there is something in your ear that's whispering to you a lot. Like, oh, you you got this message. Hey, you have this calendar appointment. You know, like you you can already ask the the AirPods. um, Like Siri already lives inside of them. But I just don't think, you know, people aren't wearing them all the time yet. Maybe maybe that's the thing that makes it happen. Maybe once they get a little bit smaller, you know, people go kind of all in on these on these audio bots. Well, it'd be great if you can like whisper to them or gesture to them rather than trying to, you know, speak into them loudly, which I think is also kind of weird. Yeah. Awkward in the situation. Well, do you remember like there was that moment where, um, a co- you know, call it 10 years ago, where Bluetooth speakers, Bluetooth headphones first came out. And then you'd see people yeah. walking down the street and it looked like they were talking to themselves. And you're <laughs> yes, like, yes, yes. this is absolutely not going to be the future. Like everyone looks like a madman. Right. But that that's where we are right now. Like everyone True. is wearing those things around and everyone is talking to themselves and no one, you know, bats an eye at it. Uh, and that stuff just becomes kind of like a social norm after a bit. Yeah, but it feels like if you're using it in a situation where you need to be a little bit more quiet or, you know, if the surrounding surrounding area is noisy, you want to be able to speak softly and maybe yeah. like, you know, I feel like there should be some easier things to do that are, I don't know, a little bit more lightly. Well, maybe you just end up just thinking about text, yeah. right? <laughs> Facebook was working on this. I remember seeing, uh, I went to... Um, you know, like a, a VC summit, and one of the one of the folks was um, demoing a piece of technology where they could take kind of the idea of you thinking about typing on a keyboard and turning it into text that would just you know appear on a screen. And um, you know, I I don't claim to know how all of it worked, but it seemed to be a very convincing demo. Like, of course, no one's using that right now. Of course, that's many many years away. But maybe that's the thing. Ten years from now, the idea that you can just Think about the query that you want to ask your virtual assistant, and then she will whisper it in your ear so that no one else hears. Like, is that crazy? Like, is it yeah. any crazier than cars that drive themselves? Probably not. If you fall asleep with it on, then it will record your dreams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And we can <laughs> we can publish them to YouTube, and I will watch Max's dreams tonight before I go to bed. <laughs> I don't think it's good. Yeah, super um, weird. Yeah. Super, it's got super weird real quick. <laughs> All right, so. Let's let's talk about Marsbot for a little bit. That's like that's our little bot. A lot of fun. It could get a little bit creepy, but uh, not not as much as we walked onto. But what did you learn most from our work on Marsbot? Yeah. Well, first of all, I should say that uh, Max is an amazing engineer and oh, was one of the lead drivers of of building the the Marsbot R and D product here at Foursquare, which was meant to be a bot that would communicate to you via text messaging. Uh, and it would basically listen to the places that you'd been to using Foursquare's Pilgrim technology and, um, you know, would give you suggestions on where to go based upon the places that you've been to and the neighborhoods that you hang out in. Um, but, you know, we wanted it to be like an app that you would never use, right? You would just get right. random text messages at various times. Like I got one yesterday being like, hey, I know you spend a lot of time in the East Village. Like here's a new, you know, restaurant you should try. And it, it's it's great. Like it feels really magical. But I think you, you and I worked pretty hard on, um, you know, and some other folks here at Foursquare. We worked pretty hard on, you know, writing the copy in such a way that made it seem kind of fun and, and playful. Um, you know, we wanted to build something that like was a little bit flirty and a little bit creepy uh, and a little bit all knowing. You know, um, just to kind of see what happened. Like 
Did people accept it? Did people get tired of it? Did people get creeped out by it? And I, I think we, we learned a lot from it. I think um, a couple of the things we learned is um, e- even if you write really clever copy, it can get repetitive over time. Yeah, uh, I think we a have a better it. sense of the, the, the cadence of emails or the cadence of messages you need to get in order for people to you know, understand the product and, and stay engaged. I think we learned a lot about what you need to do to actually build successful R&D projects internally at a, at a company. You know, like staffing them full time instead of part time, and so you know, I think that was a that was a, a valuable exercise. Um, I, I also think it's worth noting b- back to you know the, the conversation that we had a little bit earlier. Like, there's not not every engineer here at Foursquare would be able to make something like that, and um, you know, I think one of the reasons it was cool to work together is I think you know you you as an engineer you're very much like a just kind of roll with it. Uh, way of way of working. You, you didn't need to see a, a, full, a full spec. You didn't need to have the vision fully articulated for you to start working on it. Like you're the rare breed of engineer that could, you know, continue to like just plug away at something and kind of make up your own answers to things until you got stuck. And then when you got stuck, we'd have a meeting, we'd figure out how to get unstuck. But like not not everyone has that ability. And I think whenever you're doing you know, kind of R&D type of work, you need a type of person that can just like is, is okay with kind of wandering, you know, aimlessly into the dark, um, hoping to figure out like, why are we doing this? And is this going to be any good? And is this going to be interesting? Or am I just wasting my time? You know, you have to be comfortable with those things. Yeah, well, it's interesting you call that an, an ability. And I'm glad you called it an ability because, you know, I enjoy working that way. Uh, there have been other teams uh, and particularly some of my work in other companies where that style of working uh, is not such a great fit. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's like it's a it's taking more of an art than science approach to product. And I think yeah. some of the craziest and most interesting stuff has to take like an art approach to thing. Like we will build, you know, it's like you're sculpting a product with the intent of like throwing it away or starting from scratch or chipping pieces of it off, um, you know, over and over again. And I think when you go into it with that expectation, then, um, you know, you're you're more open to experimentation. I feel like building a bot, it, it kind of has to be fun if you're trying to build a personality. And, you know, one of the problems I've been thinking about, maybe I don't have a solution to it right now, but one of the problems I've been thinking about is, you know, how can you you know, have a, have a workflow where a bunch of people are having fun coming up with ideas for a bot and then, you know, having something sort of put it all together and uh, kind of, you know, <laughs> meshing the ideas and sort of, uh, you know, having it come together as, as one whole. I think if you had a team that could work like that well, then uh, you could end up with a pretty good product. Um, and one of the things that I learned was it's actually possible to get, you know, uh, critical recognition um, for, you know, building these smarts into, in, into these, these bots, like making it actually, uh, I think there are aspects of MarsBot that are actually a lot smarter than some of the bots that are out there today um, in ways, obviously, you know, Siri and Alexa have some very smart features to it and some very dumb features to it, but there are, there are angles where you can enter that, uh, I don't know, seem, seems like there are definitely a lot of areas to push the ball forward and to make people go, wow. Yeah. Well, remember, we, we purposely set out to build something that we thought would, um, you know, be a little bit controversial, right? Like we, yeah. very, very few of these bots are proactive. You always have to say, hey, Siri or hey, Alexa, to get the genie to come out of the bottle. 
And we wanted to build the thing that would tap you on the shoulder. Like, hey, Dennis, I found something great. You should go there. Hey, I saw that you are about to leave this restaurant. You should go this place instead. Like, we wanted to make something proactive, which was a little bit of a gamble. And we also wanted to, you know, make something that explicitly knew where you were. And it would, you know, read back to you like, hey, I know that you are sitting at this bar right now. And I, and I have an idea for a better place to go to. Um, you know, those are... Those are kind of controversial product calls, and I'm not surprised that a lot of the other bots you see don't don't do that because like there's a risk of alienating or scaring people off. But we we knew that we were working with a small you know a small audience and like a you know the intent to learn through an R and D based product or project, and I think that worked out great. I think we learned a lot from it. It's really cool, you know. Uh, people don't realize that there's so much technology underneath this. There's the Foursquare Pilgrim technology, which really tells you you know, where you are and where you're stopping. And I guess I can't get to specifics, but I sort of, you know, was in a meeting where some people were talking about what's on the roadmap for Pilgrim. And I'd be like, oh my God, this would be so great for Marsbot. And that's not really what anyone in the meeting wanted to talk about. But yeah. it was, it was, it was like, you know, they're building all of this stuff for, um, you know, purposes that cut across the whole company that are, that's going to make Marsbot and these consumer experiences so much better. Yeah. I mean, every now and then we get to sneak away and do an R&D project. And we're trying to make that more of a formal function here at, at Foursquare, the company, so that we can continue doing can, that with the regular cadence. Can we talk about labs? Um, yeah. I mean, like we don't have a ton to talk about uh, yet. We're in the process of kind of spinning up a dedicated group that will kind of dream up and execute on interesting and novel um, uses of of the Pilgrim SDK, which is kind of, I think, uh, uh, Foursquare, the company, is kind of crown jewel in terms of data and technology. You know, this this piece of software that can understand where a phone is at any given time, and not just a GPS coordinate, but a a place name or a category name, and then understand the the user's relationship to that place. Have they been here? Do they go to places like this? Are they in their element? Are they out of their element? Um, and I think there's there's lots of cool stuff that can be that can be done with that. Uh, and I'm excited about you know the company taking a couple swings to build you know to build interesting R&D projects just to kind of push the boundaries of what we can do. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of that. Okay, switching gears a little bit, uh, and we're sort of coming to the end here. Um, I have this podcast. It's sort of uh, in between a, a a hobby and and a job. Like you know, I'm taking it seriously. I'm considering it to be like a product that I'm building and putting out in the marketplace. You know, I want to try to, you know, get a build a user base. I think that's kind of a challenge. User base, I call them basically just people who listen to the podcast and like the types of things that we're discussing about right now. Um, is there any advice that you have for me as I develop this product? Uh, as you develop the podcast product, correct. Uh, well, what's the uh, you know? Do you have like a vision or a roadmap for it? Like, where do you where do you want to take it? Um, well, so my first challenge was to just do 10 episodes and see where it goes. And right now we're up to episode seven. Um, Lucky number seven. Yeah. And really, really, that's eight now because, you you know, I did an episode zero. I start counting at zero. <laughs> so I, I only have two more episodes to go. And it kind of seems like the theme of the podcast is starting to take shape a little bit now. We talk a lot about new technology and I interview people who are you know, working on interesting things or working on things that maybe think make you think about the world a little bit differently. And so I think that's sort of uh, a good thing to put out in the world to kind of get people 
thinking a little bit differently. And I learned today, I didn't have a guest on today's podcast, but I learned that also just talking to myself for 30 minutes is something that people will listen to as well. But it's all, it, it's all technology. It's not pancakes. It's not Chicago Cubs. It's all tech stuff. Yeah, I mean, but if I'm going to do one every week, there's going to have to be some wild cards. And so I, I don't know. I want to be flexible in terms of in terms of what comes out. I don't know. Maybe I'll run out of topics after a while. Yeah. Or maybe I, I'll run out of guests. Maybe I'll have to like recycle everybody. I think the, the best, you know, like when we, um, we had this idea, we were building Foursquare and Dodgeball and all the other stuff. We had an idea of what we wanted to make. And then you show it to people and you let people give you feedback on it. And they'll tell you like what they like or what they don't like or what's interesting or what they want to see more of what they want to see less of. Now, it sounds like you're already sourcing questions from the audience. So, yeah. you know, I think a good thing to do is listen to the existing user base that you have and, you know, see see what they what they think. I'm sure a lot of them listen to other technology based podcasts already. Um, and so, you know, what can they get from yours that they can't get? that they can't get from others. And I think if you can help articulate, you know, if they can help you articulate that, then you'll probably be in a pretty um, pretty good position. That's a good question. So if you're listening to this and you do have some feedback along those lines, it's localmaxradio at gmail.com. Send that in. Uh, you could also get me on, on Twitter or whatever. Okay, this is the part of the podcast where I let you plug anything you like. <laughs> plug anything. <laughs> what what do people normally plug? What are they? Their websites, uh, their Twitter accounts, their uh, you know their blog. Okay, I'm on I'm on Twitter. It's pretty easy to find me. It's just at Dens D E N S. Um, I have conversations with people about all sorts of stuff. Sometimes it's Foursquare. Sometimes it's about tech. Sometimes it's about the hit TV show The Bachelor. Hmm. Uh, sometimes it's about soccer. Um, you know, so I'm always, and a lot of it's about like just startups and getting stuff built in general. And so I'm always, I'm always inter- interested in interacting with people that are trying to build something that they feel really passionate about and they get stuck um, somewhere. And I feel like one of the skills that I have is helping people get unstuck. Um, and so I like to, I like to talk to people about that a lot. So always happy to interact with people if you can, and you're, I'm very easy to find on the, on the internets. Yeah. And we should also plug uh, Foursquare if anyone wants to. Oh, yeah, the, job. the hit. Foursquare.com slash jobs. Uh, if you, uh, you want to work with us, you can yeah. just listen to half of the podcast episodes are me interviewing people who work at Foursquare. Um, and, you know, if you like the people that you're listening to, this might be a great place I heard to we're, work. we're hiring a full-time podcaster. We, yeah. we are. Yeah. <laughs> they they, glo- they glossed right over your resume. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, we're not hiring a full-time podcaster, <laughs> but we're hiring all sorts of engineers and sales folks and, uh, to help us grow this amazing enterprise data business that we have. Um, yeah, yeah i get more into that. As yeah, all sorts of really interesting stuff that, that's coming down the pipeline. All right, great. And one thing I wanted to mention, you mentioned your soccer team, and I know you got into it a, a lot into that in the Vanity Fair episode uh, podcast that you did. But one of the things that I really like about what you're doing is that you're putting out all these materials that are teaching people how to you know, manage a soccer team and how to do everything that you're doing. And I just thought that was really cool because it's, it's sort of, you're not only getting into a new industry, but you're, that's sort of how to become a leader in that industry. Yeah, we call it like open source soccer. Just be super transparent about everything that's worked for us and trying to start this, you know, pro team from from scratch. And it's been great because like we've inspired a whole bunch of other clubs that didn't exist a couple years ago. You know, like one of the 
this is you know, going off a little bit of a tangent, but like one, of the, one of the coolest parts about Foursquare, the company, is that you know, I meet all sorts of people that have been inspired by something that we did, whether it's like we, we made something or we didn't sell the company to someone or we, we spoke on a panel about some, you know, all the hard stuff that we went through in the nine years of building this. And it's like it's inspired people to build tech companies. It's inspired people to do tech stuff in New York. It's inspired people to, you know, build stuff on top of our platform. Like that's really rewarding. Like, I can't tell you the number of people, number of times like I run into someone random that's like, I saw you speak at this thing like seven years ago, and I decided I was going to do a startup, and now I have twenty employees. Like that's that's awesome. And I think you know you can like don't underestimate how all of this stuff that you're working on, whether it's like, you know, you worked on the Marsbot product, whether it's like, you know, you're very active, you, Max, very active with like the NYU students yeah. that you work with and, um, you know, super active with just a whole bunch of groups that come in from, from the outside to, to do things here at Foursquare. Um, and and with the podcast too, like you, you, you know, you have the ability to inspire people to do some more stuff. And I think that's like a, you know, kind of a great, a great gift. Yeah, thanks. Now, I noticed that, you know, I think that people listening can, can learn from that example of, you know, uh, teaching everyone else what you learn. You know, it might seem like uh, some people might feel like that's distracting, but it's not only is it very rewarding, but, you know, I happen to notice a lot of successful people do that a lot. So it's, I think it's, I think it's a great thing to do. Yeah, it feels good to, feels good to help out people that could use a little bit of a nudge. All right. Dennis, thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be guest number eight. <laughs> yeah, guest no Well, we haven't had a guest every show. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> well, we'll, so we'll do the I math and figure out where I fell. Okay, okay. <laughs> I worked up to it. Okay, but thanks, thanks so much. Yeah, and good luck on the journey to reach episode number 10. And that's a wrap. Lots of great stuff in there, right? Yeah. Now, I know that a few people sent in questions for Dennis, and in some cases for me and Dennis, and they came to me after we recorded the interview. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to send these along to Dennis this week and maybe uh, get some quick answers for you next week. So we'll cover that. I'm going to finally loop around to how I broke the really short substitution cipher. And uh, we've got more articles and trends, and I'm working on getting a few more guests. So uh, stay posted. Oh, and one more thing. I did finally get a URL for the podcast. It's, of course, localmaxradio.com. It currently forwards to the SoundCloud site, but there's a lot more I could do with it in the future. And as always, looking forward to your feedback. So have a great week. That's the show. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you want to keep up, remember to follow The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at MaxClock. Have a great week. Feel the power.
If you fall asleep with it on, then it will record your dreams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And we can <laughs> we can publish them to YouTube, and I will watch Max's dreams tonight before I go to bed. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be 